Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Hello, I'm Jim Bennett. I'm Eliza Bennett. And this is Dinner Table Politics, Human Scum Edition. Are you excited? You ask me this every episode, and I always respond to the same thing. That you so are. Very, excited. very, very excited. No, the whole idea, so Donald Trump, for those of you who are living in a cave, has tweeted once again and said, the never-Trumper Republicans, though on respirators with not many left, are in certain ways worse and more dangerous for our country than the do-nothing Democrats. Watch out for them. They are human scum. It's great because we have a never-Trumper Republican and a do-nothing Democrat. So we're well, just Well, I'm not Trump's. a Republican anymore. Donald Trump has not – I'm no longer a never-Trumper Republican. I'm a never-Trumper member of the United Utah Party. That's basically the same thing. Basically the same thing? The United Utah Party is what the Republican Party used to be before Trump. That's kind of what your party is. Oh, gosh. You know, we're always accused of being Republican light or Democrat light. You just think we're, we're pre-Trump Republicans. That's what yes. you call us. I think Richard Davis would disagree with you. He's a former Democrat who's the chair of the party. Oh, proud of him. Okay, I think you are Republican light. I am Republican light. Well, all of my positions when I was a Republican have not changed. Exactly. But the party has. The Republican Party is gone. But it's it's bizarre to read this and to see this. And this is continuing, or maybe it's the climax of an argument that has gone on since Trump started to dominate in the primaries, which is... Is it appropriate to abandon sort of Republican principles or is, is it important enough to be able to be loyal to the party that you're willing to accept all of the garbage that is Donald Trump? And here he's calling us human scum and I've just called him garbage. Uh, actually, all the garbage that comes with him, all of the dishonesty, all of the, you know, mal- I mean, we, we got over this, right? You're not a big Trump fan, are you? I am not a big Trump fan. No, I think he is the worst. Well, okay, so you as a do-nothing Democrat, I can't persuade you to be a United Utah Party member? I think I might be registered United Utah, but But I don't think that matters if I vote very strongly Democrat. So in your heart, you are a do-nothing Democrat. Um, How much garbage would you be willing to put up with from a candidate if you knew that candidate was the only way to beat Donald Trump? Um, I think it depends on what we mean by garbage. If we mean by garbage, like Donald Trump type garbage of he's sexist and racist and homophobic and altogether the rejection of everything I believe, I'm not sure I'd be able to put up with the garbage and I'm not sure what I would do. But if we mean someone, if we're looking at the current 
cast of candidates, I would be willing to vote for any of them before I voted for Donald for Trump. For any of them. I would be willing to vote for anyone in the race currently. Okay. Because Joe Biden mm-hmm. has been accused of doing all kinds of terrible things mm-hmm. that don't necessarily rise to the level of Donald Trump. But, a lot, you know, he, he grabs women from behind and and hugs them and sniffs their hair and gives them kisses on the backs of their head in really creepy ways. And he's done a lot of this on camera. Yep. Uh, you're okay with that? I'm, I think okay is a strong word to say because I'm not okay with it. And Joe Biden is probably one of my, like one of my bottom choices. I wouldn't, I don't want him to gain the nomination, but if it comes to Biden versus Trump, yes, I would vote for Biden. Okay. What about Tulsi Gabbard? I don't know enough about her to have a strong opinion. I, I don't either. Still so, say yes. Well, I don't. I don't know anything about her. But Hillary Clinton singled her out and said that she is a spy—not a spy, but she's a plant from the Russians—and the Russians want her to gain the nomination to throw the election to Trump. Did you follow all that? No. Well, it's There's just so bizarre to me. But, but why would Tulsi Gabbard be the Russians' choice? She's not going anywhere. She's not going to get the nomination. I I think because the Russians couldn't infiltrate higher up. I don't know. I think Russians. I think it's hard to become a Russian spy because most people have morals, and so they were somehow able to grab this guy so, who so, won. So they got and, Tulsi and Trump. Yeah, that's a, that's a very strange name, Tulsi. I don't know. Okay, you have a son named Jetty. You can't come at people. That's true. Having I'm not names. upset with her. It's just a name I'd never heard before. Yeah, well, anyway. Jetty's made up. So no. Well, no. There's a family history to it. Anyway. That's not important. Nobody wants to hear about about names, but they do want to. I think we do need to talk a little bit about how much party loyalty matters. Okay. Because I think that's a significant thing in this election. Because even from the beginning at 2015, 2016, you know, all throughout the election, I had a lot of people coming to me and say, well, Trump's never going to be the nominee. You know, Mitt Romney's going to jump in. He's going to save the world. And Trump's not going to be the nominee. And they were saying this even after Donald Trump had enough delegates to win in the convention. And I kept saying, you can't do that. Mitt Romney has missed all of these ballot deadlines. There's no possible way he can be the nominee. But as soon as Trump became the nominee, then the story shifted to, well, okay, we're stuck with this guy, but he's our guy. And we need to rally around him. We need to be behind him. And he's better than any of the do-nothing Democrats. And I don't think it was that he was better than any of the do-nothing Democrats. I think a large part of it was that the Democrat that got nominated was Hillary Clinton. And I think she's very unique in how much... How much people hate her. How much people hate her and how much, I think, a lot of votes for Trump were a vote against Hillary. Sure. Um, and so I, I think we won't see the same level of party loyalty, partly because Trump has become such a flaming pile of garbage. <laughs> and... Like a lot of, I think, more midline Republicans can see that and a lot of independents can see that. But I also think there aren't too many, there aren't Democrats in the field right now that I see that have the same level, same levels of anti against that right. Hillary had. Uh, you know, although at the same time, so today at lunch, talking to your, your uncle who says, I think Trump's going to get reelected. And Lots he, of people think Trump's going to get reelected. Right. I'm not. I, I think Trump actually. I think there's a fifty-fifty chance he'll be removed from office. But we talked about that last week. Mm-hmm. Uh, although the numbers continue to get stronger, the polls now say fifty-five percent of Americans want Donald Trump impeached and removed from office, which is extraordinarily significant. And the the stunts that the Republicans have been pulling, you know, the storming of the deposition rooms. <laughs> 
It's hysterical because they're saying these these open these open these committees open all of this. First of all, these aren't committee hearings; these are depositions. Yep. And somebody pointed out to me, and I didn't realize this, but the difference between this and the Clinton investigation process is that the Clinton impeachment process began after a submission from the independent counsel that yep. had gone on for years. And so that had laid out the framework of what an impeachment would look like. And so then the impeachment inquiry was just about getting to the impeachment vote. Right now, we are in the investigation process, which requires depositions, which requires things before we have hearings. And so that makes sense to me that these depositions are being taken in private. Okay, but yes, it definitely makes sense. I agree that they should be in private. Democrats need to find the best case in order to lay out against Trump, in order to convince Republicans they should remove him. Right. But this argument of they're being done in private, so Republicans need to storm the room. There are Republicans in the room, and 11 Republicans who stormed the room could have been in those meetings because they're on the appropriate committees. And so I, I just... I want to sit everyone down who <laughs> thinks things are going wrong and just make them listen to some professors at BYU and be like, you guys just need to take a level 100 poli-sci course to right. understand the government because they don't understand it. No, they, Chris, they don't. And Chris Stewart, one of, a Utah guy, was part of the stormings, which is just... And he's on one of the committees. And he's the, on one of the he committees. He could be in the room, but he chose to leave the committee hearing or at least not attend the committee hearing so he could complain about not being included in the committee hearing. Well, and I just... You think of all the... Comp- this is considered confidential, the re- and they're doing it behind closed doors. And the fact that they stormed in with their phones, that... That's just not okay. And if someone did that in a real life closed door deposition, like if it was that you can, I'm pretty sure you can get arrested for things like that. You're like, or at least fined. Like I just, well, the, the levels people are going to, to support and stay on Trump's side are just flabbergasting to me. They're flabbergasting. Would you call them human scum? I think Trump is human scum. I don't think the others are. Well, well, I, I wanted you to answer that question after the break. But it's I'm, too late. Oh, it's, it's too late. You have the answer, but when we come back, we're going to explore that answer. Is that exciting? All right. She just looked at me. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Have you seen the hashtag ETTD? No. It it comes from a book by Rick Wilson, who is a Republican strategist, which is a book called Everything Trump Touches Dies. And, you know, when Trump's calling people human scum, one of the things that I think comes to mind for me is the fact that everybody who associates with Donald Trump on any level is pulled down into the mud. 
I wouldn't say they all die, but I don't think that anybody can associate with Donald Trump and not come away sullied from the experience. Well, I think you see that with Rudy Giuliani. And we were just talking before this about how you used to really respect Rudy Giuliani. Everybody did. Well, I'm Rudy Giuliani during 9-11. He was the mayor during 9-11. There was a primary election that was scheduled for September 11th, 2001. Mm-hmm. Rudy Giuliani canceled the election after this attack and was out in front answering questions. And, you know, he had mobilized the police and the fire department to respond. And he was just this anchor of strength during a very difficult time. And Time Magazine had him as the man of the year after that. And Rudy Giuliani was the front runner for president in 2008 for the Republican nomination. And that lasted for about 10 minutes because he couldn't really create a campaign. He actually came away from that nomination process. Guess how many delegates he got to the convention? Seven. One. One single delegate, the front runner, he completely imploded. It didn't go anywhere. But even then, Rudy Giuliani had so much good faith built up among the electorate at large. And now Rudy Giuliani is worse than a joke. Uh, You know, he was kind of a joke initially, but now he's got two of his guys who've been arrested and been hauled off to prison. And he's in serious trouble. You were telling me about his butt dial. Yeah. I mean, what happened in the butt dial? Um, he butt dialed a reporter and ended up leaving a voicemail, I think. And it was like asking someone for money. Why he, I need a few hundred thousand yeah, dollars. And or it, something. I, I mean, that's just not a great situation to be in while you're under this other investigation about withholding money. And I, I, I just think Rudy Giuliani is in a really bad spot right now. And I wouldn't be surprised. I actually think if something comes up against Trump, it is, also coming up against Rudy Giuliani because it appears that he is side by side. The oh, yeah. Ukraine diplomat not um, like testified that it's there are these two paths that foreign policy were coming through, and one of them was the shadow path, and it was being controlled by Rudy Giuliani. It's just very clear that he is him and Trump are just the root cause of these problems. And so, if I, I'm not sure when his fall from greatness or whatever right. began, but. You have to assume that a lot of the corruption came because of his association with Donald Trump and Trump pushing him further and further along. Well, you know, during the 2016 election, Republicans were loath to endorse Donald Trump, even when it started to become clear that he was going to be the nominee. Mm -hmm. And a number of prominent Republicans refused to go to the convention. Mm -hmm. John Kasich refused to go to the convention. He He was the guy I voted for. He's the last Republican I voted for, at least for president. I voted for him in the primary or the caucus, the Utah caucus. Uh, But um, George W. Bush wouldn't go to the Republican convention. George W. George W. George H.W. Bush, who was still alive at the time, didn't go to the convention. Uh, Bob Dole was the only Republican nominee who went to the convention. And... But Rudy Giuliani got in and endorsed Trump early, and endorsed Trump and spoke at the convention. And I remember thinking there, okay, maybe Trump might be okay if Rudy Giuliani is endorsing him. Maybe I need to give him a second look. And my second look didn't last very long. But now I look at it and say, well, Donald Trump has dragged Rudy Giuliani down. I just, I think of the argument I was given after the 2016 election when I was telling everyone that America is dying and right. we're all we're right. all dying and we're going to be forced into robotic labor. 
um, a lot of the arguments was it's okay. Trump is going to surround himself with good people, smart people, and he's going to run the country right, and nothing's going to happen differently. Like he's not going, he's just going to kind of be a blip in history. Um, and that, that very, was the best case scenario is that he won't be. He'll just be incompetent. Yeah, we've survived incompetent presidents before. Mm-hmm. But it's very clear via just the turnover rate in the White House, and then statements from people who have left that. I think your options when you're hired by Trump are the Rudy Giuliani route of, or Mick Mulvaney. Like you just become this kind of Trump person where you just are like, yeah, we're doing terrible things, but you should be used to this. This is not that terrible. <laughs> or you leave. You're either, you're forced out or you're forced to become like him. Right. And that's exactly right. Because I think initially you can look at a lot of the initial Trump appointees and say, oh, yeah, that guy's competent. Mm-hmm. Rex Tillerson, mm-hmm. his first secretary of state, who called him an effing idiot. Right. Uh, I'm so proud of you, Rex. Thank you, Rex. You know, Mitt Romney was groveling and trying to be secretary appointed secretary of state. Of state. I remember. But you look at the turnover in the Trump administration, and it's because all of the competent people, all of the people who are trying to protect us from Trump's worst instincts – are not able to survive in that environment. Mm-hmm. And I think they've all come away damaged to some degree. This week, one of the things, so did you hear the voicemail that Kellyanne Conway left for a female reporter? I didn't, no, I did not hear it. But you heard but about I've it? I've heard about it, yes. Well, because I remember Kellyanne Conway when she was Kellyanne Fitzpatrick. And she was this bright, young Republican pollster. I, I think I first saw her during the, the Dole years. And uh, when Dole was running, the Dole years, Dole was never president. I don't know if you knew that. Anyway, she was this very prominent pollster. She she was always on television back when I used to watch cable news and when I cared about this kind of thing. And I always kept thinking that is a woman with a bright future. That is a very capable and brilliant strategist. And I think she's going places. And she was going places. And now she's you know lodged in the upper echelons of the Trump administration. And I think she's completely and totally sold her soul. Yeah. I think it has damaged her. So the whole conversation was because her husband is a Republican who I had never heard of prior to Kellyanne Conway's ascent. But he is extraordinarily critical of Donald Trump. Donald Trump and he have gotten in Twitter wars. I kept hoping when I was running for Congress that Donald Trump might say something nasty about me because I would tweet nasty things about Donald Trump. And he never did. You have like seven followers on Twitter. He doesn't really care unless you reach a certain threshold. That's true. I have I have maybe more than seven. I think I'm in the double digits. I mean, double? Are you in triple? I think I'm in the triple, but just barely. I think I have like about. Do you still have followers. your Twitter? Yeah, yeah. You can you can look at it. Stallion Cornell is my Twitter handle. If you all want to look at it, you have three hundred and thirty-five. There you go. Wow. See, it's almost as many as Donald Trump, or not quite. Not not quite. But this. I think I think Republicans have kind of forgotten that no matter what happened with this impeachment, no matter what happened in 2020, at some point there's an end to the Trump era. Right. Unless, of course, he becomes a dictator and overrides the Constitution, which maybe will happen because no, he's terrible. Won't. But there, our, there will our be... Our constitutional republic is stronger than that. Yeah, I, that was a joke. Okay. But there will be an end to the Trump era, and I really think... Republicans are going to try and rebuild different than the Trump era afterwards. And I think all of the people like Kellyanne Conway are tying themselves so close to Trump, forgetting that that means no one is really going to pay attention to them afterwards because they're, they're going to be damaged. Yeah, they're going to be remembered as part of this 
bad blip in history. Human scum. Anyway, uh, so when we get back from our break, I want to see what you think the future of the Republican Party is going to be. I'll tell you one person who looks to be trying to get the future of the Republican Party. If you say Mitt Romney, are you about to talk about Mitt Romney? No, no, I'm not talking about Mitt Romney. I'm going to talk about Pierre Delecto. Okay. Do you know who Pierre Delecto is? I think I should. Yes, you should. It's Mitt Romney. Oh my gosh, it's his fake Twitter. It's his fake Twitter account. Which, I mean, how dumb do you have to be to say, okay, yeah, I have a fake Twitter account with 668 followers. He announced the number of followers. And so it was within five minutes that Slate.com figured out which what the account was. It doesn't appear that he's, ugh, I don't know. There are no. some weird things going on with that Twitter account and it makes me not like Romney as much. Oh, well, that's fine. Well, I don't think Mitt Romney's the future of the Republican Party because he's too old. But I think Mitt Romney has taken it upon himself to create a future for the Republican Party, to recognize he, ke- he keeps calling this an inflection point. Mm-hmm. This is an inflection point in history. And Mitt Romney has positioned himself to be the Republican who says, this party can't have all of its fortunes rise and fall with Donald Trump because they're going to fall and they're going to collapse and go nowhere. So you, as the future of not just the Republican or Democratic Party, but the future of the country, uh, a young Generation Z person who's going to have, they're going to chart Am the I course. Gen Z? I think you are. Oh. I think Abby is the last of the millennials oh. from 97. I mean, disappointing. Some, it's disappointing. I'm not sure. Maybe you could call yourself a millennial if you want. What do you think? I, I, I feel like. I don't really identify super hard with either group because I'm not quite old enough to be a millennial, but also I don't like TikTok, so I can't be a Gen Z. Anyways, oh, well, I don't funny. even know if people know what that is. Uh, TikTok is is the he's a character in the Wizard of Oz books. He's no. are you uh, serious? No, I, well oh. that's the, when you say TikTok, that's who I think of. But I know that he's a musician. No, no, <laughs> no, what, you're what's, still wrong. It's no, an app. It's an app. TikTok oh is an app. I thought it was a musician. No, it's an app. Well, that shows you this is this is Generation X screwing up TikTok. Okay. Anyways. Anyways. Well, so what do you think the future of the Republican Party is going to be? And what um, do you think it ought to be? Two very big questions. Oh, I feel like hot takes for me of what it ought to be because I don't think people would agree. But what I what I think it will be is kind of a return to what it was. The Republican Party has kind of set it itself up as this party for Christians. Like you see that white evangelicals vote Republican more than anyone else. They have a really strong tie to it. And they kind of, they set themselves up. I don't agree with this diagnosis, but they set themselves up as the moral party. Right. They're pro-life, pro-family, all these things. And I I don't agree that those things are necessarily moral. But anyways, I think we'll see a return to that. I think that's when Republicans are their strongest or when they're tying themselves to these values of the white evangelicals because that's who their base is. Except the white evangelicals have completely and totally thrown themselves under the bus by attaching themselves to the most immoral president ever to inhabit the Oval Office. I mean, the evangelical Christians love Donald Trump. This is a man who's been married three times because he had numerous extramarital affairs. He's on tape bragging about assaulting women while his wife was pregnant with his youngest son. He's been, you don't have to convince no, him he's terrible. I'm not trying to convince you he's terrible, but I look at that and say, okay, how can a Republican with any conscience say, oh, yes, we are the party of morality. We are the party of family values. 
That was the buzz phrase during the George H.W. Bush years, family values. Dan Quayle took to the floor of the Republican convention and railed on a TV show, Murphy Brown, which tried to revive itself and completely bombed this last year. But Murphy Brown, she was a character on a TV show that was having a child out of wedlock. And he said that's, that she was mocking the importance of fathers. And he was you know, vilified for that. But it was consistent with where the Republicans were at the time. The idea that these family values were such an important part of the part of the party and that culturally Republicans stood for this kind of public morality. How do you get back to that when your spokesman is Donald Trump? How do you do that? I don't know. I don't know because they also like they also have Kavanaugh. They have a lot of people who are kind of part of this, oh, we're moral but we're not crowd. But I think going more into the question of what I think the Republican Party should be, I think I see a lot more of my peers kind of centering themselves on the Democratic Party just because so many people I know are anti-Trump and they think that's the Republican Party because they're just getting introduced to politics. And I think, and older people tend to vote Republican while younger people now are tending to vote Democrat. And so I think the Republican Party, in order to stay relevant, well, they'll stay relevant because we're a two-party system, but in order to start gaining votes from people in my generation, they need to kind of stop aligning themselves on this like morality line because I think they've lost their credibility there. And I think they need to return to this line of markets and free markets and having, having, I've said markets like four times now, but having the market control instead of government, because I think I know a lot of people who identify with that, but they just don't understand that that's the Republican party because Trump has been all over the place with the markets and they, he's been doing all these funky things that aren't necessarily considered the Republican stance. And so I think in the I think going forward, what I would hope the Republican Party does is back off of this morality and kind of move more into the economy. Well, can they do that? We're going to talk about that when we get back from my break. I'm with you 100% on this whole move back to markets and free markets. You know, one of the things that was a selling point for Donald Trump is that he was the greatest businessman in the world who understood capitalism and understood markets better than anybody else. And what's become very clear... If I inherited that much money, (laughs) I would be a great businessman. You know, if you inherited that much money and put it in an index fund... fund, I would have made more money. You would have made more money than Trump did. Uh, Trump has been a terrible businessman. Everything Trump touches dies. I think Rick Wilson's book is absolutely right. But... One, there's a piece of news that came out this week. The federal deficit for the for this coming year is closing in on a trillion dollars. We're right now at $936 billion. This is during a time of economic expansion and low unemployment, and we're spending out of our minds, and Republicans used to care about that. Mm-hmm. Republicans used to care about budget deficits. Republicans used to at least pay lip service to the idea of reducing government. We're not even doing that anymore. Nope. And it's just stunning. So neither party, I, I look at both the Republicans and Democrats, and I think, okay, Donald Trump can't be reelected because of what he has done just to the integrity of this country, not just the moral integrity and in that he's a bad guy morally, but the integrity of the system, that he completely ignores the Constitution. This last week he talked about the phony emoluments clause, you know, that kept him from hosting doing the, G7. hosting a G7 at his own personal dying resort. Uh, but but the integrity of the system has taken such a huge hit that we need to get rid of the guy that has done that, and that's Donald Trump. But okay, great. So then we get a Democrat in there 
And is there any one of these Democrats that's talking about bringing the budget deficits under control? No, but a lot of them are talking. They're not talking about bringing it under control. A lot of them are talking about how they're going to pay for their spending. Well, except for the paying for their spending is it's nonsense. It's, but it's better than what Trump's doing. Well, they're not planning on increasing the deficit. Yeah, but they will. Okay, but Medicare for all will vastly increase the deficit. Vast. There's no mathematical way that it can't. It's just not possible. There isn't enough money in the world to do that. There isn't enough money in the world? Well, to do it, in order to do everything that Bernie Sanders has proposed, there is not enough money in the world to do it. Have you counted all the money? No, but he's talking about programs that would essentially cost about $100 trillion by some estimates. There isn't $100 trillion. You know, the gross domestic product. Of you haven't seen my bank account. You have that much money? Yeah. Well, where? Well, come on, man. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Did you know that Bill Gates has said that he's only going to leave $10 million to each of his children? Good. Yeah, I think that's. I think that's great. I think that's still a lot. It's still quite a lot, and you know, I was talking to your mother about. It's better this. than what's his name? Did Rock, Rockefeller didn't leave any? I think Rockefeller I gave know, it all away. Gave it all away. Well, Bill Gates is giving it all away. I love and, Bill Gates. Well, I I love so his tiger toilets are being installed in India. Have yeah. you heard about these? Yes, you've told me about these. Well, except for now, I didn't find out what the actual because initially there were chemicals that were going to. You know, burn the waste and do all this because the idea is to create a toilet that doesn't require water or sewage. And what they've done, they've created these $350 toilets and they've just got a tray full of earthworms that just eat your poop. And that's it. I'm so proud of him. I like that your brand is just loving toilets. I I feel like you could do really well as like a... Who, me personally? Yeah. like or Bill like, Gates? No, you personally, as someone who like tests toilets, I think you'd do really well on that, as someone I, who spends a lot of time on a toilet. Oh, thank you for sharing that with the whole world. You're welcome. But that's that's absolutely lovely. You know, but I look at Bill Gates and all the great things that he's doing. That's what billionaires ought to be doing. I don't even think that Donald Trump is a billionaire. I think Donald Trump has completely overstated his amount of wealth, but that doesn't matter. That's neither here nor there. But I look at this and I think, okay, so a Democrat comes in. So does that solve all of our problems? I don't think it even begins to solve our problems. The reason why I used to be a Republican is that I saw the Republican Party as the only bulwark against massive government overreach, massive government spending, and complete and total fiscal collapse. I don't see anybody in the Republican Party coming up that that has any credibility in that arena at all. And I certainly don't see anybody in the Democratic Party with any credibility on that. We We... we We are mathematically heading to a fiscal crisis that will collapse the economy globally for a generation if we don't fix it. And we're not fixing it. We're not even coming close to fixing it. We're not even talking about it. Does that not disturb you? Um, I mean, like, yes, clearly it disturbs me. I don't completely understand what you're saying as the massive economic failure and death we're about to see because I don't. I don't see that in the same way, but I do. What I do think is interesting is the United States and the UN. We critique African countries a lot because they get into a lot of debt and they really struggle. But then they have like this debt forgiveness program with the IMF, and it's just very interesting to me that the United States is willing to critique others when we are doing worse. Well, yeah, but the United States also has resources and money and and financial capital that these other countries don't have. We have the ability. Well, we have the. Abi- Do we have the ability to cut down on our deficits? I no, don't think we have the ability no, to cut back. But we have the ability to raise enough capital to service our deficits. 
which we are not going to have as soon as the ratio between debt and gross domestic product gets way out of whack. See, we talked about this. I think I talked about this in an episode with Abby. But it isn't so much how much debt you have. It's how much debt you have relative to your assets. For instance, right now, as a 51-year-old man, I have, you know, far more debt than I could have possibly imagined having when I was in high school. You know, if you told me that I would have hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt. Hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt? Yeah, tied up in our house. Oh, I hate houses. Right. But the thing is, I now earn enough money that that debt isn't... Mom does. Mom does. Hey, come on, man. Uh, I don't want to get into personal finances here. but, But we earn plenty of money to be able to service that debt. And the debt is not out of whack based on what our income is. Because of like monthly payments and such. Well, sure. But, but the, the thing is, the United States has a gross domestic product of roughly $14 trillion a year. And the problem is now our debt, our debt was, was largest in relation to our gross domestic product during World War II. We took out massive debt in order to be able to finance the war and save the world. And then economic growth was able to sort of pay that back. Well, now we are at a time of peace, relative peace anyway, uh, and we are a time of prosperity, and yet our debt is still growing out of whack. And we have precedent of countries that have collapsed Mm -hmm. because their debt, uh, one of them is Greece. Greece completely collapsed but was bailed out by other countries. Who's going to bail us out? No one. We're all Venezuela. Venezuela no. completely collapsed. Who's going to bail us out? I guess I think it's interesting that you're using this to critique Democrats so hard when it's arguably the Republicans who are the ones who are not leading us out in the way. They're not. No, I'm, I, I, I don't mean to reserve this only for, for Democrats. Republicans used to even, they're not even talking about this anymore. Trump Republicans don't believe in controlling spending. They don't believe in cutting deficits. It's nonsense. Both parties but but I look at this and go, okay, we get rid of Trump and we restore some integrity to the process, but then we have all of these same problems and none of the Democrats on the horizon look like they're going to solve them. Do you have a comeback for that? Not necessarily. I think, I don't know. I think Democrats are smart and I think they, yeah, I think all the candidates in the Democratic primary right now are really intelligent, smarter than I am. And I think they understand that if their programs are going to rack up debt, that it's going to hurt the country and it's going to destroy the country they want to lead. And so I think any smart Democrat who gets elected, which I think and hope we will elect someone who's smart, will understand that there needs to be this balance between the social services they want to offer and the and preserving our country as we know it. All right. Well, we're going to have to leave it at that. If you are listening to this on the radio, please subscribe to our podcast at the KSL Podcast Center or on iTunes. Until next week, I'm Jim Bennett. I'm Eliza Bennett. We'll see you next time on Dinner Table Politics. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.